I am ready this morning to share a word with you that will continue. It's a continuation. This month I will be teaching uh, a series, Getting Out of the Weeds, or Out of the Weeds, and um, that right there. I'll be teaching on that, different topics within that subject. And last week uh, was a, an amazing week. I, I just said this morning to the team, I can tell you much of what comes out of me and the things that stir me are born out of what the, the ministry team is speaking to me when we gather. I love those moments. We gather in my office before service starts and they provoke me and stir me in ways that are um, profound. And if much of what you don't like or much of what you do like, blame them. And um, because they're always stretching me and I love, I love the interaction. And, um, but I was telling them this morning that this past week, in reference to last Sunday, in 20 years that The Rock has been a ministry, we started the church, my wife and I did, we started the, house, the Rock of Central Florida in October, on Halloween actually, of 1999. And in 20 years, in 20 years, I have never had more incredible, phenomenal feedback than we had over the service last week. If you have not listened to it, get the podcast. Listen to the service from last week. It was, it was just an amazing day. God was speaking amazing, amazing word that I, really penetrated the heart of all of us. And I want to pick up there tonight, today. And I want to pick up in Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, you'll find that in the Old Testament. Stuck between Zephaniah and Zechariah. If you can find Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, turn left. Go about three, three books there, and you will find Haggai. Again, uh, Haggai chapter 1. There's only a couple chapters there, so if you get pages stuck, you're going to miss it. If your Bible happens to be on your digital thing, then uh, it'll be easier for you to find. Haggai chapter 1, and I'm going to begin with verse 1. But before I read this, I want to tell you uh, just a quick story about something that happened to me a long time ago, probably 25, 30 years ago. But I was invited to do something that I had never done. I grew up hunting with my dad, and uh, we would go deer hunting and, and go every year. And we would pretty much that's the only kind of hunting that I'd ever done was deer hunting. I think one time or maybe twice I went squirrel hunting, but I just didn't see the need for that because I, w I wouldn't eat it if I killed it. I'm not eating a squirrel on any, any day of the week. And uh, there's no way you're not going to roast it baste it, cook it, grill it. Anyway, I don't want a squirrel. I like them on my fence. I like them in my trees, not in my belly. So I'm just not that guy. And so I went once or twice, and then I never went again. And I don't even remember, but I might have seen a squirrel and then not shot it because I probably realized, what am I going to do with it then? But I did love to hunt deer, and I still enjoy deer hunting. But because I have a love for hunting, and just being in the woods, I think more than hunting, and listen, when, when we, we eat deer, we love venison, because Jesus loved venison, but we love venison, <clears throat> but we grew up, that's how I grew up, was hunting and, and going out, but I think I love the woods more than the actual hunting part of it, so I was with some folks uh, 25, 30 years ago, and one of the guys that I was with, he said to me, he said, Steve, in fact, we were getting ready to go deer hunting. 
And he said, hey, he said, we're, get, we're planning a trip to go hog hunting, wild hog hunting. Would you like to go wild hog hunting? And I thought, I've never been wild hog hunting. I said, oh, man, yeah, you, you, you will love it. You love deer hunting. You're going to love wild hog hunting. I said, I'm in. Let's go wild hog hunting. Because I love hog smoked. And I, when I worked in the chemical plants in, in uh, Beaumont, Texas, in um, years, long time ago, but I worked in the chemical plant. When I say worked in there, it makes it sound like I did something really important, but I was a pipe fitter helper. And uh, so I held the pipe, they welded it. And, uh, but I worked in the chemical plants, and the, the welder that I was the helper for, it, every week, he would get a wild hog, and he'd bring this smoked hog in there. Man, it was incredible. And then he'd make jerky out of it. And I mean, every week I'm eating wild, and I loved it. So this opportunity came up, and I thought, yes, I'm in. So we get, you know, I get my gun and everything. We go, and I've never been. And we get out into this place, and I can't remember if it was in Florida or Texas now. I can't remember where I was. But um, I just remember going out with this person and these people. There was a group of us. And we get to where we're going hunting. I get out of the truck, and we start walking through this field where the weeds are literally as high as I, tall as I am. And I'm looking around, and I'm, and I'm saying, how are we going to, Larry, how will we even know when there's a hog? I can't see past my face. Those things have tusks that are like 10 inches long. And then he starts telling stories about one particular time. He's like, yeah, man, I remember the time we were out here and we were hunting. And, man, all of a sudden I heard this. <laughs> and I heard them doing, making their noise. And suddenly I heard the brush rambling. And he said, man, I climbed a tree. That hog tried to kill me. And I immediately wanted to take on the personality of Jenny Kerner when we were on a trip walking through, going on a hike through some mountains in Alaska years ago. And they're telling us there's bear. The sign going into the woods said, bear our present, be aware, bear our present. And we're walking through the woods. We wanted to see a bear. Jenny Kerner's like this. Hello, hello. <laughs> She's clapping her hands. She's making noise. Jenny, we're not going to see a bear. Right. Hello. <laughs> Y'all remember that? She's Tim and Liz were with her. She was just clapping her hand. So I'm in the woods, and I'm standing in these weeds that are this tall, and I know these hogs, man, they get five, 600 pounds. These things are beasts. I weigh 155 pounds, and I don't have tusks, and I didn't see trees. I couldn't see anything except for the guy with me. And I said, man, that's not a good combination. I don't, these weeds, I don't, I don't like this. And he said, well, it won't be long and we'll be in some shorter weeds. And once we get into the shorter weeds, you'll be able to see a little bit better. I said, I got to get there. Right. We got to get to the shorter weeds. I literally, I am not a fearful guy in the woods. I love the woods. I hate the weeds. And I hate that I didn't know where this thing might come from. Even if I heard a shh, 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 something, something coming at me, which way is it coming from? And I would probably ink myself and run the wrong way. And so I said, man, I don't like this at all. I don't like, he said, just make sure your gun, you're prepared with your gun. And I can't remember if I had a rifle or a shotgun. I think I had a shotgun. And he said, just make sure your gun is, is ready and you're loaded and you're, you're, ready to, you're ready to pull the trigger. I'm thinking, 
I might kill you. Because I'm going to be going like this here. <laughs> so, and, and I had this fear of the hogs that I couldn't see. And I had this fear, because I couldn't see them, but they could see me. And they were just waiting on me when he's, this hog, hog one was saying to hog two, when he gets far enough in that he can't get out, I'm going to go, and we're going to go. I'm taking this guy out. And that was a sense I had. Well, fortunately, we went through that whole hog day. I'm sweating great drops of blood. There was no peace and there was no comfort. It was completely against the will of the Lord. And... We got through that hog day. We never heard anything. We never saw anything. I've never gone again. I've never gone hog hunting. I've been enticed to or encouraged to or interested in it because my wife and brother-in-law's uncle who lives in Inverness, he has hogs and he just sits in his family room and they come up and they eat in his yard and he just shoots them from the family room and then (laughs) cleans them. So I know... If, you are, if you're a vegetarian or you are anti-kill-the-animals-and-eat-the-animals thing, um, I don't know what to tell you. I love meat, man. And uh, so, so, he just, so when he said, Steve, you can come to my house and, and shoot some hogs, now I can do that. And uh, I haven't yet, but I could. But I'm telling you that story because I was in the weeds, and I just remember these weeds and how tall they were, the cattails and everything that was there. It was swampy. And I just remember these weeds, and i just thinking to myself, man, this is not smart. Why would I stand in the weeds? Why would I hunt in this place when I can get to a place where I can see clearly? The weeds are becoming my walls. They have become the restraint that is keeping me from seeing clearly. The enemy, the hog out there, can see me. He can smell me. He knows my fear. And that's what I was afraid of. He knows I'm scared to death. The enemy can see, but I can't see the enemy. So why would I stand in these weeds and let these weeds become my restraint? Why would I let these weeds become my boundary? Why would I let them be the thing that holds me back from doing what I know I should? I want to talk about that today. So before I do, I want to read a couple of things. Some years ago, and a few years ago, uh, I, I keep a journal. I keep journals regularly, and I have four of them actually in my office. But I read through them from time to time, as you know, those of you that know me know. And I was reading this week, and I picked out two particular things that I had written in my journal. One was in 2014, one was in 2015. And I wrote these in relationship to where Holy Spirit has us as a house at the time. And based on where he has us in this house right now, or at that time, I wrote some things, and I'm writing some things about where we are today. But on July the 18th of 2014, I wrote this. This is a quote out of my journal. If this current representation of the church is the church and what Christians are happy with, the world is in trouble. If this current representation of the church is the church and what Christians are happy with, the world is in trouble. So I'm going to follow that statement up with this. Are you happy with the condition of the current church? 
And when I say church, I'm not talking about the building you sit in. The church is not the building. The church is in you. And then I wrote this on September the 10th of the next year. Quote, our ability to pass through time successfully is determined by our willingness to engage the present as an opportunity and not as an enemy. Let me read it again. Our ability, let's make it personal this morning. My ability to pass through time, the time that he's given me or you or us, my ability to pass through time successfully is determined by my willingness to engage the present as an opportunity and not as an enemy. In other words, to be a success in the kingdom, to have the Father, to be successful to me isn't about how much money I make, isn't about how many friends I have, how good my job is. That isn't a success. What kind of car I drive or house I live in or, or neighborhood I dwell in or people I hang out with, that isn't success to me. Success is at the end of the day when I lay my head on my pillow is the Father saying about Steve Parker, this is a son in whom I'm well pleased. If I can... Uh, arrive at the end of my day and I put my head on my pillow and my father says well done my good and faithful son I am pleased with you you are a son in whom I'm well pleased that is success to me and it is determined that statement from the father is determined by my willingness to engage this present moment as an opportunity not as the enemy. See, the things that we're walking through right now, if we approach it from a religious perspective, everything that I talked about a few moments ago for 10 minutes is the enemy. Religion, by its nature, because it is founded in law, religion, by its nature, is opposed to the whole thing being worshipped. Religion is opposed to the individual taking responsibility for the individual. See, religion is propped up by its need for there to be somebody in charge. Religion requires that somebody tell us, tell me what to do. Tell me when to do it. Tell me when I've done it well and tell me when I've done it wrong. Religion by its nature is legalistic and requires for somebody to be in charge even if we don't like the somebody that's in charge. The, bad, the, 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 the crazy thing about that is even when we don't like the person who's in charge most of the church loves religion so much that they will accept it as it is. Are you getting me? So when we talk about getting out of the weeds, there's some weeds that we have to shake today. We have to get through these things because if we want to be successful and we want to allow this present moment that the Father, you've got to see this with me. This thing that we're walking into isn't something that we just conjured up in our mind. Oh, this would be a great idea. 
This is a moment that the Father says, you have proven yourself to be faithful for the ongoing truth. This is what I'm looking for next. You've been faithful over this thing. Now I'm giving you the opportunity to be faithful over this thing. You were successful here because I was able to say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, you did well. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased, you did well. And now I'm going to give you opportunity to be faithful over this thing. And I want to be able to say about this thing, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. You have done well. The thing is, every time we come into that place that's new to us and challenges that religious status quo, that need for... I'm, I, let me finish that statement. Every time that something challenges that religious status quo, that need for someone, tell me what to do, tell me when to do it, tell me how to do it, tell me when I'm right, tell me when I'm wrong. Every single time we say that, it removes all responsibility from us. Here's the problem though. You do not attain salvation because of the guy in charge. Here's the guy in charge. And he's happy to be in charge. Unless he's me. Here's the guy in charge. Here is religion. This is religion. Let me just do it this way because it doesn't never know if it's happy or sad. It never knows whether it's coming or going because it's stuck in a rut. This is the guy in charge. This is religion. This is much or most of the church. This right here. Most of the church in this place. They want a guy to be in charge. But see, here's the thing. If these people... are to come to Christ they aren't going to come to Christ by going here and then here or here and then there each individual comes to Christ through their own relationship see religion wants the guy in charge to bring you to Christ Christ wants the guy in charge to be you that brings you to Christ Jesus is not interested in Steve Parker becoming your Jesus. But see, religion wants somebody, make my decisions for me, tell me how to do it. I'm going to get saved, and then I'm going to depend on you to keep me there. You get me saved, and I'm going to keep depending on you to get me there. It was never the intention of the Father was never the intention of the Father, never the intention. That's the nature of denomination. That's the nature, and I'm, when I say denomination, I'm not talking about the things we define easily as denomination. I'm talking about independence, not uh, interdenominate, whatever they call it, and all the different things. If, if you're any, any body of believers that gets stuck in this place where we continue to do the same thing over and there is no growth, you become a denomination. You become the bottom of something that you're supposed to be the top of. Mathematicians, you'll get that. You have become something you were never meant to be. 
So religion, if I want to know Christ and I want to come to the place where I'm a son, I have to be willing to get myself out of the weeds and say, you know what, I want to begin to take personal responsibility. And the Father wants to say, I want you to lay your head down tonight and say about yourself, you did well today. You made some decisions. Yeah, I just really depended on that preacher. He just really got me through it. And the Father wants to say, no, you got you through it. He might have taught something, but you took a personal, you took responsibility for yourself to get there. You, you hearing me this morning? So let me read this again. Our ability to pass through time successfully is determined by our willingness to engage the present as an opportunity, not as an enemy. Now, let me read Haggai chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel. And the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is the word. Thus says the Lord of hosts. The, were y'all trying to take a picture? No. Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> Amen to that. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Where is the house of the Lord? No, never mind. Just track with me. And then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Most powerful word in the English language, consider. Consider your ways. You have sown much, and yet you've not harvested much. Your harvest does not match your sowing, whereby word and spirit, your harvest should exceed the sowing. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat and you are never satisfied. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so only to put them into a bag containing holes. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much. You've harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So what is, if I'm asking this question, and I am, what is the condition of the temple today in your life? What is the condition of the church as a whole today? The church as a whole today prays as though God is deaf, lives as though God is blind, and stumbles around as though God can't speak. Because the church as a whole today is, again, looking for somebody, lead me. The church as a whole today is looking for somebody, teach me and I will do. Teaching isn't bad. Teaching is good. Preach. 
And I will learn. Preaching isn't bad. Preaching is good. We should never teach, nor should we ever preach to your growth. We should preach and teach to your ability to begin to receive that and develop that in your own life through your relationship with Holy Spirit. The preaching and the teaching is not the end. It should be the seed that produces a passion in the hearer to say, okay, you've given me that. Now, Holy Spirit, how can you grow that in me? This morning when we were meeting in my office before we came out, one of the things that were said, and every week people say amazing things, but this morning one of the things that were said, Stephanie Bosch said something that I had not considered because as we begin to move through this season and through the years, just in every way trying to figure out how do we eliminate the law that exists so heavily in the church world, in the temples of our lives, how do we eliminate the law without the fear of people becoming lawless. How do you get to that place where there's still a sense of trusting the voice of the Lord, where you're doing, you, you ha- are so keen to hear His voice, so passionate to see how He moves, so willing to receive into who you are, what He, His nature. How do we transition from a place of law to this place of liberty that we so often speak of and yet find difficult sometimes to really attain to. Stephanie said something this morning. She said, what I hear is what God is trying to do in our house is to get us pre-law. Hope I'm not boring you this morning. She said, I believe what God's trying to do is to bring us to a place that is before the law. See, in my mind, in all the times that I've taught, I've always had the understanding I wanted to teach you past the law. I wanted to help you past the law. And when Stephanie said that this morning, it's so struck a chord in me to its truth that I could see us existing before the law was. See, before the law was, nobody knew how many sheep that had to be slaughtered. Before the law was, nobody knew what law was. (laughs) Because it was a relationship based on word and spirit. But then something happened. I can't get into deeply today, but I'll just address it. But then something happened when Moses was leading the people out of Israel and he brought them to Mount Sinai. They got to Mount Sinai and everybody knows the story. We've all seen Ten Commandments in Charleston Heston and we've seen all of that. And they get to Mount Sinai and when they get there, what, what isn't said in that movie is what Scripture teaches us. That the father asked Moses, he said, where? Because Moses came up on the mountain 
to see, and he saw the burning bush and witnessed the presence of God. And what isn't in the movie but is in your Bible is that the father asked Moses, he said, Moses, where are the people? Well, they're at the bottom of the mountain. Well, let me ask you again. Where are the people? Well, Father, they're at the bottom of the mountain. Moses, why aren't the people with you on the mountain? Because I'm the leader. And you said... And you said, if they approach the mountain, they will surely die. And then God's response, is that what you heard? If they approach the mountain, he said, because they did not trust me. And approached the mountain believing even that they would die. Because they interpreted death very differently than me. Because they couldn't lay hold of what death can really produce. Because they were so natural thinking. They will now surely die. A different death. The kind of death that they believed would be, they have believed it into reality. If they had believed that it was a death of vacancy, of all things natural, they could have come into oneness with me in a way that you are. This is in your Bible, okay? So, keep this in mind. While Moses was on the mountain being educated by God about why the people should have followed him up the mountain, Moses, can you just hear God saying this to Moses? Moses, if you can walk on this mountain then everybody else can walk on this mountain. Steve, if you can walk on this mountain, you're not so big in your britches that nobody else can. Everybody can. Moses, if you can walk on this mountain, everybody can. But because... They decided that you would be their voice, that you would be the one, that whatever you said they would do, they decided to die a different kind of death. What happened? Law. What does God do when he discovers that we do not have the ability to hear his voice, see what he's seeing, receive what he's doing? introduces the law. 
Because he said, remember, in all of you, there is this. He said, you are these three things. You are natural. You are body. You are soul. And you are spirit. And in this place right here, remember this from last week. In this soul part of you exists both body and spirit. Mind will and emotions all exist in this place mind will and emotions in the middle of all of that is the god part the spirit is the is the god part exists there and this is the earth part that exists there but the breath of god comes in and does an amazing work in us so what happens is the father said come on come on yeah. god said come on. yahweh said I'm going to introduce to them the law because they are, when it got to here, the mind, will, and the emotions did not receive the spirit part. They just received the guy over here, the Moses part, the leader part. Somebody lead me. Somebody be my voice. Somebody teach me. Somebody help me. Somebody get me through this. Somebody be my answer to all my problems. Somebody yada, yada, yada. And the father says, that's exactly what I want to do. And he said, so I'm going to introduce the law because they have demonstrated they can't do it on their own. They have demonstrated that they are not willing to care for their temple in such a way I can live in it. And then what happened? The golden calf, all the jewelry, all the stuff, all the law, all that happened. Now, so listen to this. Get this with me. Are you ready to see this picture? Lay your head, uh, just, just wrap your mind around what I'm about to tell you. So imagine. Let me, let me put it up here. I'm really digging this board. They yell at me usually when I erase stuff, so I just keep, I'm scared when I start to erase something. Here's Mount Sinai. Here's God in a burning bush. Here's Moses. Here's the plane. Here's the people. So what happens if when Moses ascends the hill, the people ascend with Moses? the law can never be born. The law of Sinai is the same law that has created that wall between us and God for all of these generations. On that day, God built a wall. Awesome thing about that. In the same way, if we think for a second we're any different than these folks, can we reconsider? That's what he says in Haggai. Consider your ways. Let's make this personal this morning. Do you think 
I'm not answering for anybody. You answer for yourself. That you are any different. If God said to you today, don't come up the mountain. If you do, you will surely die. That's what he said in the Old Testament. That's what he said to Moses. If they come, they'll surely die. If he said that to you today, what would you do? If you listen by the law, if you listen with only... Ah, oh, I tore it down. If you listen only with the natural, you would never ascend that mountain. In here, a battle rages, and the soul is where the battle rages between what the natural wants and what the God part of us wants, the Spirit of God wants. That's where the battles occur. It's always, always, everybody say always. Always, always in the soul. Always in the soul. There's never a battle in the Spirit. There's never a battle in the natural. Every battle happens in the soul and then manifests itself either in the natural or the Spirit. In other words, you need healing. The battle as to whether or not I can be healed occurs here. What this decides determines what manifests here. I want to ascend the hill of the Lord. I want to, Steve Parker, I hear what you're saying today. I want to ascend the hill of the Lord. I want to ascend that is in my heart, my soul. The battle is raging here. But can I, how can I, all the stuff that I've been taught over the years and generations, my mama, my grandmama, my granddaddy, all in my favorite preacher has taught me all of this stuff. There's such a battle that I just don't believe I can do it. And it restrains you to the base of the mountain, to an unfinished temple. Completely incomplete. But what happens when that battle is raging? Oh. That battle's raging in the soul. Can I, can I, can I? I can. And when my mind, my will, and my emotions say, I am going to resist the law. I am going to hear his voice. I'm going to see his face. I'm going to approach the mountain. And when I do, the manifestation of that choice happens in the spirit. And the spirit of you, my spirit, our spirit, the spirit of every single person that chooses that begins to come alive in a way it has never lived before. Suddenly, you begin to see and you begin to understand and you begin to hear in a way you have not. Suddenly things become alive. Do you hear me today? So when we get out of the weeds, when we get ourselves to a place, to the reality, I'm not going to be the guy sitting down there waiting on Steve Parker to come off that mountain. Listen, I don't want to be on the mountain alone. I want to be on the mountain. I want to be on the mountain. There's a reason I love to climb. I love the mountains. It's in my nature. It's in my spirit. I want to be on the mountain. I want to be on the mountain with you. I don't want to be up on a mountain shouting down, hey, the next step is... So what would have happened had they gone up that mountain? They would have died to the natural. They would, have, they would have died to their fear that he wants to kill me and come alive to the realization that he wants to live through and in me. He wanted to kill my fear so that he could exist in me in a way that is unknown. So most of the church today, let me say it again, the condition of most of the church today, they pray 
as though God is deaf. He can't hear. What do I mean by that? They pray in this way. They pray, and over and over again, they keep repeating the same prayer. I touched on this a little bit last week. They keep saying the same thing. God, heal me. God, heal me. God, heal this. God, heal this. This is God, restore my marriage. God, restore my job. Give me a job. Whatever it is, you fill in the blanks. God, do this. God, do this. And we ask it over and over and over again. And God said, good Lord, have mercy. I'm tired of hearing you repeat yourself. Did you think I didn't hear you the first time? The reason it's not happening is because you've never come into agreement with yourself or me. You keep asking the same thing over and over again, and he says, I need to teach you how to pray. I need to teach you that when you pray, you only need to ask me one time. I'm not that God that forgets everything. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Live as though God is blind. God doesn't see like God doesn't see it. You know, I'm just going to keep doing this. I, you know, God doesn't see it. I know that some way this might not be wrong. There's a conviction in you about something you might be living, decisions you might be making, choices you might be making. You need to hear what I'm telling you today. You've got some conviction, whatever level of conviction it might be, even if it's that much conviction. Conviction is conviction is conviction, and it doesn't come from anyone except the Spirit of God. Amen. Conviction doesn't come because of the laws you were taught growing up. And if somebody ever said to you, you only feel that way because your mom and daddy said that or your cousin said that or your preacher said that. If they ever say that to you, slap them in the face. <laughs> say, you have no idea. I'm just kidding. Don't really slap them in the face. Get away from them. Because what they're trying to do is entice you into whatever they want. Do you hear me today? Too much of the church, those who say they're a part of the church, they live as though God can't see anything that they're doing. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding both the evil and the good. Never misses anything. He's well aware of where we're at. And he's not aware of where we're at so he can say, I've got my eye on you. Checking you out. He's never doing that. He's not interested in causing you to feel shame because of every single thing and every place you've gone and every single thing that you've done. He's not interested in you living in shame. He's interesting you in, interested in setting you free from the thing that creates shame and separation so that it isn't in you anymore. And that's what happens when this Haggai thing says you're taking care of your own temple, but what about the temple of the Lord that's in you? He says you take care of this. You care for this. You care for this. But what about this? Life is not found here. Physical exercise provides little, but life is in the spirit. Physical exercise not being this or this. Physical exercise being, I'm, you know, I just want to make sure if I can take care of this body and make it look good, God will be proud of me. And God says, you know what? If you will come to know me and live by the spirit, your body will by nat- in, in, in its normal recourse, it will begin to look like me. You hearing me? So we live as though he's blind. He can't see anything that we're doing. And what do we do in all of this? And he says right here in Haggai, repent. Get it right. Say, Father, I'm sorry for standing at the bottom of the mountain looking up. He doesn't want you at the bottom of the mountain looking up. He wants you on the mountain looking out. Do you know why he brings us up onto a mountain? So that we can see the full vision of what he has in store for us. It's very hard to see very far when you're on ground level, but you get up on a mountaintop, it's amazing what you can see. From that place, you can actually identify the world is round. And 
And we stumble as though God can't speak. We walk around, we stumble around. I just need God to speak to me. If, I, if God would, you know, that's religion. That's, really, that's the bottom of the mountain living. Oh, I just, if God would just tell me what to do, I, I would be able to do this thing and I'd get through this thing. God would just tell me what to do. Let me tell you what God has not stopped doing, and that's talking. He's still talking today. It's a matter of whether or not you and I choose to listen. He's still talking. And what, the problem isn't that he hasn't talked or isn't talking. The problem is always that we aren't hearing what we want to hear. So when he says, do this, we're like, that wasn't God. Because that doesn't make my body happy. Father says, I want you on the mountain. And if you're going to come on the mountain, you're going to have to die to the stuff that you're concerned about whether or not it makes your body happy. Some time ago, maybe a year ago, maybe a little less, this is going to, it is what it is. But I love the game of solitaire. My mother, who's watching online from Texas today, as every week. By the way, she might be here in November. But, um, but my mother, um, whom none of you have met, and all of you know as well as me, and she's my mom. And... But growing up, my mother played solitaire a lot. She always had a deck of cards, and she would play solitaire. In my mother's home, we could play cards. In my father's home, we couldn't. They were divorced, and it was just, there was, a, there was law, and then there was lawlessness. So anyway, it was what it was. Thank you, Mom, for introducing me to solitaire, which became a chain and ball for me. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I have loved solitaire forever. So every phone I've ever gotten, I made sure and download the solitaire app. And I would play solitaire. And when I would find myself in a place, in an airport, waiting on something, I was alone and I wasn't with people, I would sit there and I would get out my solitaire app and I would play my, my solitaire game just to try to pass time. And then some time ago, I don't know, maybe this year, within the last year, I was actually at an airport sitting there alone, going somewhere. And I was sitting there alone and I was playing the solitaire app and I heard in my spirit, Holy Spirit say, get rid of that thing. And I thought, what is sinful? What could possibly be sinful about the solitaire app? I'm literally, I'm, I'm having a conversation with God. What could possibly be wrong with this solitaire? I love this game. I mean, I literally, I would go to it and find out how many I had won. You know how it would tell you? Your percentage. And I was really doing great. But when you can look at it and you can see you've played thousands of games. And he said, how can you observe what I'm doing all around you with your eyes fixed on that phone or in that app. I want you to be aware of what's going on around you because I might give you something to speak into it. You will never know whether I'm presenting you with an opportunity to be my truth if you got your face fixated on that phone. I deleted that app and I haven't played since. And you know what? It's crazy. I don't miss it. And you know what else is crazy? I've actually seen moments that I wouldn't have seen before. Been in moments that I would have never known existed because if I were alone and I wasn't with some, some people do it if they're with people. One of my pet peeves, don't sit at a table and be on your phone. Drives me insane. Or be in a drive-thru and be on your phone. I can't go there. And I got rid of that. And what it's done is it has made me become aware of those things that are around me. This thing has come to keep me at the bottom of the mountain and miss my opportunity to be the temple of God, the voice of God, the person of that, uh, the spirit of God, that exists in the natural so that he can do his work through whomever might be around me right now. 
And you know, I have not missed that app a single time. Do not miss solitaire. Would I play if somebody had a deck of cards and I was, I might. But I'm not downloading that app ever again because it became the distraction. So what am I saying in that? In Haggai, verse 1 through 15, or through 11, through 12. Verse 1 through 12. He said, you eat, you're never satisfied. You earn money, and it's never enough. It doesn't matter what you do. You drink, but never to the fill. doesn't matter what you do. It's never enough. And you're always searching for more because you're naturally focused. He said, but if you can come to the place, what about my temple? And he's not talking about some temple that's hither and yon. He's not talking about a temple over there. Okay, what about his temple in Jerusalem, blah, blah, blah. What about my temple? He's talking to us right now. He's talking about the temple of the Holy Spirit in you and me, in us. What about my temple? What are you doing for my temple? Have you brought your temple up the mountain? Have you subjected your temple to the mountain? Or are you going to let the weeds, you're going to let those things that become, just, whether it's solitaire or whatever, the hog hunting, you're going to let those things hinder you from dying the death you need to die so that you can live fully in me? Are you hearing me this morning? And then in Haggai, go back to Haggai chapter 1, let's go to verse 12. He says this. Then Zerubbabel, I like to say that. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. He recognized that God had sent Haggai not to become their eternal voice, but to lead them to the voice. Today God has sent me to you, not to be your voice, but to lead you to the voice. To the voice. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message, and he said, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the, ho- the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month and the sixth month and the second year of Darius the king. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord, their God. They came and they worked on the house of the Lord, their God, so that they could tear down this wall and ascend the hill of the Lord. couple things, and I'm going to wrap this up. I was having a conversation. Yee, I'm going to tell on you a little bit today. I seem to be doing that for a couple weeks. <laughs> Yee is the business manager here at the church. He manages the business. That's what business managers do. <laughs> and this week he came in the office, and we were talking about something. And in that, he had referenced philosophy. And when he referenced philosophy, I said to him, I said, 
let me explain to you my perspective of what philosophy means. There is no place for philosophy in the church because the gospel is not philosophical. Philosophy is the position that we take and the inquisitiveness that we pursue while looking for the truth. It is what we do in our pursuit of the truth. What I do is the gospel, and that is the truth. Philosophy is... This is philosophy. could have made it easier word this is philosophy this is an idea a perception an inquiry that is in pursuit of the truth truth exists outside of philosophy In fact, I'm going to confuse you if I put that line there. Truth exists outside of philosophy. The gospel exists inside of truth. You see this? You need to. Philosophy, which is what religion does... Philosophy is what cultures do. They are pursuing based on an idea, based on experiences, based on education, based on attained manly wisdom. Philosophy is a, our decisions that we make and try to understand that we believe will lead us to the truth. The gospel is the truth. And while the gospel is what we are called to be in the earth, we do not have all truths in our mind, but we have all truths at our access. Philosophers do not believe they have access to all truth, only specific truths. Sons and daughters of God have access to every truth. And when we need that truth, if we are mountain ascenders, every truth that we need can be found by living in the gospel and allowing this His temple to be manifest in our lives. Does that make sense to you? So let me wrap it up with these three points and help you break it. One of the reasons that we remain, everybody say one of the reasons, that we remain consumed and restrained by religion and the need that if someone will tell us what to do, we'll do it. If someone will teach me what to do, I'll do it. 
Instead of saying, Father, awaken me, I trust that the voice of this man is leading me to your voice. That's the position we need to take, but most do not. Most people say, I trust that your voice will lead me to my answer. Never considering whether the answer is the voice of the Lord. So, one of the things that keeps us from, and will keep some, even today, from walking out of this building with the full understanding and revelation of what I have been speaking of today, one of the things that will hinder you and keep you from being able to engage your possibility on the mountain today is muscle memory. It's that place where we get in our mind where we have done the same thing for so long it requires no thought. We have believed the same thing for so long we don't even entertain the idea that it might not have been the whole picture. Doesn't mean that what you're walking in is wrong, but it likely means that if you've walked in it for a long time and it hasn't changed, you have stopped letting his voice be his voice. You have stopped trying to see with his eyes or hear with his ears. And you are only walking in a piece of the whole he wants you to walk in. Are you getting me? It's because of muscle memory. It's because of this thought. We've done this so many times. This is what it does. And let me tell you three things. Let me wrap it up with this that happens with muscle memory. It is, first of all, it's not our friend. Muscle memory is not your friend. Well, I've learned to do this, and it's just automatic. I get up in the morning, and I read three scriptures of this book, and, and I, you know, I get my little box out, and I read those things. That's muscle memory. Change it. I said to the staff this week this very thing. I said, whatever you're doing that you do all the time, change it up. Break it up. Break it up. Because what it does is it causes you to look again at what you're doing. Why are you doing it? Begin to question it. Why do I do it this way? Muscle memory is not our friend. One, it prevents discovery. If I can depend on what I've known and it's worked for me for so long, I won't look to any other answer, any other possibility. Prevents discovery. It hampers your creativity. Well, you know, muscle memory, if it were going to be a good idea and it would have worked, I would have thought about it by now. It hampers our creativity. It keeps us from saying, what, are my, what is my possibility? And it crushes enthusiasm. When we live with muscle memory, we live our lives and everything is planned out. I get up in the morning and I know exactly what's going to happen. I don't have to think about it. I don't require a to-do list. If your life doesn't require a to-do list, mm, can you fix that? If it doesn't require a reminder list, see, if you get up in the morning... You get up in the morning and you don't, you're just, it's just like, I, everything's going to fall together today. It's just going to fall together because I did it yesterday, I did it the day before, I did it the day before. Suddenly, you lose enthusiasm. You don't want to get up. You find yourself, your alarm goes off at seven, you hit the snooze button six times. Because you know, you've come to learn, well, you know, I really don't need to get up that early because I've done this so many times, I know how to do it. That by itself ought to be a rebuke. Until you get up, man, my alarm went off at 6 o'clock. I got to get up at 6 o'clock and I got to get there and I got to do whatever I'm going to do. I got to start my day because I'm looking for another way. I'm going to be creative today. I'm going to blow my boss's mind today because I'm going to bring something to the office today he didn't even expect. I've got ideas for the success of his company he didn't even expect because I'm not functioning with muscle memory. See, muscle memory keeps people at the bottom of the mountain. 
But when we begin to say, Father, help me, get me past that. Man, you begin to ascend. You begin to get to that place. And he says, I can do great things. He wants to do great things in you today. He wants to do amazing things in you today, right now. He's already done it. He's already done it. He's already done it. We're starting. We're trying to move into the revelation. But I'm going to tell you what I know. I know that we haven't achieved the complete revelation because already in the time that I've preached today, I kept preaching anticipating that at any moment someone was going to get up in the middle of my preaching and come and strike hands with me. How many thought about it? Muscle memory kept you there. Muscle memory kept you there. Kept you there. Amen. 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 Ow. Amen. Muscle memory keeps you there. You know how? Because you probably, when you felt like coming up here, you probably said something like, Amen. Oh, that's good. I like that. Say that again. Muscle memory will keep you there. You keep you sitting there looking up. How many want to look up? Father said, why do you gaze up here? Why are you looking? What are you waiting for? So I hope you're getting an idea of the transition I'm hoping to see. I want to lead us to a place where you don't need me. I want to be needed. But I don't want to be needed like I've been needed. We all want to be needed. But I want to take us to a place where we're sending the hill. I don't want to get up there with a the father on the hill. I don't want to be up there on the hill with a father and say, I wish I could tell you why nobody's coming. I want to be the one I have to say, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me. Father, I tried to get to you. Man, these people were in front of me. They rushed the mountain. I had to find my way through. Because the fire is there, the zeal is there, the passion is there, the hunger is there, the thirst is there. The need to say rework, rebuild, cause this temple to begin to change. So what I'm not going to do today is I'm not going to give opportunity to lay hands on anybody because if you needed it, I trust you would have come. More than that, I'm not doing an airstrike. If you needed it and you believed I had it, you would have come. My hope is if you needed it, you understood you've got it and you did this. (laughs) Scared me. (laughs) This is who we are becoming. What will it look like exactly? I I don't know. This is who we are becoming. If you're in this house, you're watching online, you're new, 
today this is the first time, maybe you've been here a couple times, maybe you've been here for 10 years and you're like, wow, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, first of all, there's a place for you here because this isn't our place. It's His place. And it is in His place that we dwell. We welcome you, invite you to engage the Father in a way that stretches us causes us to not it doesn't allow us to get so comfortable in the current in the status quo that we can't just allow him to literally blow our mind and say wow wow can you engage this with me amen so what i want you to do today we're taking responsibility see it's easy if i lay hands on you because well, if you need healing, call for the elders. All of that was born. There were no elders before there was law. What do we do? We got judges and we got priests and we got so on and so forth. We got all. What do we do? We begin to take responsibility. The Father never meant for the church to be a broken up bunch of people spread out everywhere. He meant for the church to be a body functioning so well together it flowed in an incredible way. What the Father wants to do is bring us to a place that is so much more than what we've been. Do you want to go there? So, honestly, I don't even know how to say go home. Or to eat. Or whatever. So what I'm going to do is say... Do what is in you and do it to the glory of God. Amen. Amen.